Well, 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 welcome to the Novice No Longer podcast, episode 8. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Novice No Longer podcast, where every week I have guests that can help you build better products and get the press you deserve. This week's episode is amazing. I meet with Nihal from Course Horse, and Course Horse has been around for a few years now, and it's absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. It's in right now, New York and LA. You should definitely check it out. And what it allows you to do is go on, and if you want to learn something, you want to take a class, you go on to Course Horse, you put in the topic, you can browse and you can register for classes right there. And it's all independent teachers. So if you are teaching a class, go on Course Horse, list your class and you'll find a bunch more students. And like I said, it's been around for a few years. It's growing rapidly. If if you're not in New York or LA, you should go on and check it out anyway, because it's probably coming to your city too. And Nihal has a lot of great insights for not only starting a company, but running a successful company. Because once you actually have the company started, you got to you got to do all the stuff that maintains it and keeps it going. And that's really what it's all about, building a company that can be maintained and will last for years and years and years. So this interview is fantastic. We go over all of those challenges and successes. And without further ado, I'm going to jump into it. If you enjoyed this, please go onto iTunes, leave me a rating, leave me a review. It really helps me out a lot. And here you are, Nahal from Course Force. Nihal, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan. How's it going? It's going well. How about yourself? Doing good. Doing good. Good. Survived the snowstorm? Yeah, the snowstorm. We're getting more snow, too. Apparently, this was the first of three storms. Yeah, it doesn't end, does it? doesn't end. This winter has been pretty intense. So... Tell me a little bit about your company, about Course Horse, which I've used and it's awesome, but uh, a little bit of background about that. Sure. So Course Horse is the first marketplace that helps people discover, compare, and enroll in what we call trusted local classes. Uh, classes on the site range from casual programs like cooking and art and Spanish to professional programs like finance or programming or even Excel training. Uh, we, we partner with the local providers of these programs, whether they be universities or nonprofits or small and large businesses, and we organize all of their classes into a single place that makes them easier than ever to find and book online. Awesome. So basically, if you want to learn something or take a class, you can jump on Course Horse, find a class you want to take, and just enroll right there? You got it. Absolutely. That, that's such a cool basic idea i'm so surprised that something like that didn't exist i I know i for one you know it's interesting it's interesting go ahead you know we get that question from yeah so so we do get that question from time to time you know why now what about you know uh this moment sort of makes this the, the right time to build this type of thing and i think largely the reason is that the majority of schools didn't um you know class providers didn't really have websites for their content um so i think you know in the last five years, there's been obviously a huge shift from, you know, small businesses not really operating websites seriously to being suddenly very serious about the web as a, as a channel for a new customer acquisition. And I think, uh, you know, that's been sort of a big part of what's been uh, enabled us to sort of organize that data into a single place. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of when food ordering first went online. And it was just kind of like... Yeah. 
well, duh, I could just go online and place an order. And this is the exact same thing. And I know, I've, I feel like I've learned way more once I graduated college than I ever did before that when I was actually in yes. school full time. <laughs> And I know a lot yeah. of people are that same way because, I mean, I teach a class. I have a lot of students, and it's, it's the exact same thing. So tell yeah, us absolutely. what we're seeing. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. Tell us a little bit about your background before uh, Course Horse and founding this company. Sure. So uh, I was an undergrad at NYU Stern, uh, so I was a finance marketing major and a creative writing minor. Uh, and right after graduating, I went into actually tech consulting. Uh, so I ended up doing, uh, you know, working for Capgemini in their telecom media and entertainment uh, division. And immediately when I joined, they knew I was in uh, focus on education and interested in education. So they put me on a major project for uh, a major test prep company here in the U.S. Um, and it was an amazing project for me. And my real goal was to figure out, you know, how does technology get built and how, as a business person, can I really understand that process? Um, and it ended up being this perfect, you know, starting off with a strategy phase to figure out the future of online test prep and then, you know, going and totally redesigning their website and then also ripping out their legacy technology and implementing a learning management system. So I got this unbelievable technology strategy, online marketing experience. Um, and while I was there, you know, we came up with the idea for CourseForce. Yeah, so how did the idea come to you? And you have a co-founder, right, Katie? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so... You know, Katie was always sort of, you know, you know, we were each other's go-to person with new ideas. Uh, and right after college, she actually went to uh, be the first employee at a startup called biz to credit which uh, is a marketplace that helps small businesses discover, uh, it sort of, uh, it simplifies the, the loan process for a small business. So they go to biz to credit fill out a single form, and it tells them, here are the banks that would be interested in, in providing you with a loan. Um, so she was working on that business, and, and while I was over at uh, at this test prep company, I was in a focus group, um, you know, with a group of parents trying to understand how they went about the the sort of SAT class search discovery process. And one of the parents said, you know, is there a place I can go to find all of the SAT classes in my area, from you know Kaplan and the Princeton Review and all these other companies, and compare them and purchase online? Uh, and I was sitting there in the meeting saying, no, that's. Uh, <laughs> That that would make sense. Good idea. Some sort of central. Yeah, you know, there should be some sort of central educational resource. So, of course, you know, I'm noodling on this, and I called Katie literally that night, uh, and you know, she said, "Hey, that's a great idea. Uh, What about you know all these other types of classes? How do people find cooking classes or Photoshop lessons? You know, where you know, how do people do this stuff? Um, And that's kind of where the original inspiration came from." Yeah, I think that's so key and so important because I think a lot of people that want to found a company are just sitting there alone trying to come up with ideas. And that just has a huge high rate of failure. Actually talking to people and asking them specifically what their pain points are without trying to lead them anywhere. That's really where the best ideas come from. Yeah, and I, th- I think you're right. And I think what we, you know, the best process is to go kind of get involved in an industry you're passionate about um, and, and sort of find good opportunities to do work sort of in, in, in the, you know, on the innovation line of, of that industry. And I think that's where most of the ideas are going to come from, um, you know, it's from actually getting your hands dirty and getting involved in the industry. Uh, and then you also have experience, which makes it much easier than to go start the company and also do things like raise capital um, when, when everyone knows, like, oh, you have a background in, in exactly what it is you're going to do. 
Exactly. And you, you're going to know your customers too and have a way to contact them and know where they go, where they look for their information currently so you can be there. Yeah, absolutely. So you and Katie, you had this idea, it kind of grew. What was your next step? Like, what was step one? You, you make that phone call that night. You're like, yes, this is something that will work. This is something that we want to do. What's step one? So this was, uh, you know, this was a while ago. So while we were still in our jobs and we wanted to know, you know, is this really a viable concept? Seems like a great idea. Is it a viable concept, uh, you know, before we were, we're going to quit our jobs and go after this? So we did, I think, what they call now customer development. Um, and we, uh, we reached out to 25 schools or not schools, but like sort of class providers um, to find out, you know, what are their biggest challenges? What are their pain points? How do they find new students? What makes them successful? Um, you know, and, and really picked their brains. And, you know, you send out 100 emails and 25 people will get back to you and you can jump on the phone and talk to them or meet them in person. Uh, and then they end up being a fountain of information for you. And the biggest things we heard, you know, basically realized like these folks are entrepreneurs, they're passionate, effective educators. They provide an incredible classroom experience, which is really why they've survived in a, a fairly difficult local market. Um, but their biggest challenge is that they're not marketing people, right? They, they don't know how to fill their seats with new students. And the reason they have been, the only reason they've been successful is because of word of mouth marketing. Um, so that was one of the first steps. Second thing, of course, we looked at, looked at competition and saw, you know, is there anybody out there really kind of doing what, what we wanted to do? And, and it turned out not really, um, which gave us a, a nice sort of pat on the back. Uh, and then, then uh, we actually did a, a survey of 200 people here in New York um, to see, again, have you ever looked for classes? If you did, what, why were you trying to look for them? Were you successful? If you found one, did you take it? And we found that two-thirds of the people in our survey had actually at some point in the last year, searched for classes, and that 70% of them never ended up taking a class because they gave up during the search process. And so those sort of three pieces of information together, knowing the supply side, demand side, and the competition told was enough to, to let us sort of quit our jobs and, and go after it. Yeah, and I think that's so important to realize that you really do have two sort of groups of people that you're serving. The first is the teachers who you need in order to obviously list the classes. And then, of course, you need the demand. You need people to go on the site and try to find classes. So you got to cater to kind of these two groups. Yeah, absolutely. So your basic process was you kind of initiated communication with an email that you sent out to a bunch of teachers. And then from there, you tried to get them on the phone to talk to them. That was kind of your big thing? Yeah, absolutely. And from an email template perspective, you know, it's got to be short, it's got to be simple, it's got to be complimentary. So subject lines like quick question, you say, hey, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of your school. You know, I've heard so many great things about your classes. I'm doing you know, a little research report for school or something like that. And I was just hoping to ask you a few quick questions. Um, and, you know, it's a compliment to them and, and you're a student and, you know, everybody wants to help. Uh, so you get a pretty good response rate to that. Yeah, people like to talk about their business and what they're doing. Yeah. So yeah. in that stage with you and your co-founder, it's easy uh, to kind of split up tasks because, I mean, if you're contacting schools, you're each sending out the emails, you're each making the phone calls, you're doing that kind of stuff. How did y- the two roles kind of uh, evolve from there between the two of you? You know, I think at some point, Katie or I has done every single role in the company. Um, yeah. And, you know, you kind of change as 
you know, you want you want fresh eyes on it if you, you know, you have particular strengths in the beginning, but those change over time. So, for instance, I had just got out of my experience building a, a learning management system for this test prep company. So, at first, I was the one sort of leading the product side uh, as we built the back end of our own system, just because, of course, I just had that experience. Um, Katie, meanwhile, was sort of the one handling uh, the school sales side, you know, reaching out to schools. And actually, it was largely her that led that research, um, you know, when we started. So it sort of made sense. Um, over time, our roles changed as, you know, we realized that Katie's instinct for product is, is really strong on the consumer side. So she should be kind of managing that, that front end. Uh, I just want to run to do school sales um, again, because that was the, the sort of the main thing that we needed at the time. At some point, you know, we shifted again and I started managing operations because that became a huge need for the business. And uh, we also had help from interns who could do sales. So, you know, you realize over time that, you know, the founders need to be able to fill every spot. Um, but, uh, but eventually, you know, you realize what your strengths are and you really specialize there. Um, the really nice thing about having done everything is that it's much easier to hire for a role if exactly. you've already done it, if you have experience in it. Um, so I would encourage all founders to like think about owning that position, every position in your company for at least a little bit of time because it teaches you what good looks like and that's important when you're hiring people for it. Yeah, and you can communicate with the actual employee in an intelligent way rather than being like, well, I need this kind of thing done, but I don't know anything else. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. not helpful yeah. at all. So how long into this kind of research uh, process, because you're, you're doing the research and you're finding that there is a need. You just all the feedback you're getting is people are like, "Yes, this is a product or service that needs to exist." How long into that did you actually start the process of getting the website built? Uh, you know, it took us longer than we think would have liked. It took us about four months, I think, to go from idea to through the research to are we really going to do this to then quitting our jobs and then getting part-time jobs so that we can pay rent while we poured our savings into building the website. Um, so it took a few months to really kind of make the leap and get settled into this new sort of mode of, of, of being in a sense, right? We're, you know, we're working part-time and trying to get this company off the ground. Uh, the first thing we started doing was then prototyping it. Um, so we used a software called Axor. Uh, that you know was a great prototyping software allows you to really visually implement your ideas so that you can agree about kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, and I'll put a and link to that in the reason, show notes for all the listeners so you can check out XOR. Yeah, no, that'd be great. And the other really nice thing is that you want to do usability testing a little bit upfront because, of course, you're going to, you know, everybody talks about launch as soon as you can and get the product out the door. But the reality is that you want the thing that you launch to work. Right. And there's a lot you can do before you ever write a line of code to verify that what you're building really makes sense for people. So we built a prototype, you know, uh, in XOR. Uh, I taught myself how to use it literally in a day. It's a really simple tool. Um, and we were going to Whole Foods and sitting there and like asking, well, hey, we're building a website. Could you sit down and try to find a painting class? And we went through, you know, the, the website that made it a launching was incredibly different from what we first built. And it was because over time we realized like, oh, what we built is really crappy. We need to iterate on this before we actually go and build it. Um, so that was the next step. And then the really nice thing is that when we hired our development firm, uh, we had this prototype that showed exactly how we wanted the whole thing to work. So it was a lot easier for them to build and achieve our vision. 
Yeah, and that that's so important because like the more work you can do yourself and realize how you want it, the better the end result is going to be. Because if you're f- hiring a a firm to develop it, if they're making decisions, their decisions are based on nothing versus your decisions are based on actually watching users use the website that you're designing. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So you had some experience at the SAT prep company uh, sort of finding and hiring developers what did you use to build your site and how did you find the people who ended up developing for you? Sure. So, uh, you know, when we, when we were ready to go out and say, okay, we're ready to get this thing built, you know, my experience as a consultant was, you know, you create a fairly substantive, uh, documentation. So we had a site map, we had a domain model, we had, uh, wireframes and, uh, you know, user flows and use cases and, and, uh, you, you know, uh, functional specifications. So we had a lot of documentation. Um, I think, in retrospect, probably <laughs> seriously too much. Um, but we ended up, you know, taking that and, and using our network to get in front of a few different development shops that we had heard good things about. And there ended up being four, um, one of whom I had worked with previously and one of whom Katie had worked with previously. Um, three of them were in India. And then one of them, um, you know, the, the main sort of tech lead was here. And his team was in the Ukraine. Uh, and, you know, though we had, Katie and I both had teams we'd worked with before, we really got a good feeling. You know, we had a great conversation um, and we really trusted um, the guy who was here. And we liked the arrangement that he would be here so we could kind of grab him if <laughs> things were going wrong. Uh, and uh, we also had heard much better things about uh, development in Eastern Europe um, than, you know, than versus India at the time. Um, so we ended up, you know, hiring this guy. It was a fixed price project. The specifications were all written out, so we knew exactly what he was going to deliver, which was which was kind of nice. Um, and you know, they didn't have to keep coming back to us with a ton of questions because it was really sort of absurdly clear in the documentation what was supposed to be done. Um, so you know, so we got into this contract with him. We said, you know, we said the he came back. Oh, so one thing we did was we included a lot more uh, in the specs than we actually wanted to build. So after the first, you know, they, you, you provide them with your sort of RFP in a sense, and they come back with you saying, this is how much it's going to cost, this is the timeline, uh, and whatever other details. And then we would chop, you know, half of, half of the proposal out and say, okay, well, we don't actually need any of this stuff, so now what's the price? Um, and through that kind of negotiation, we have managed to, to work the price down to about 15% of, of what was originally pitched to us. Um, which was huge, right? Because we, we spent a lot less money than we needed to to get the whole thing off the ground. Uh, and while they were building it, you know, again, our, because our docs were really great, uh, we were able to spend most of our time reaching out to schools and getting them on board. So basically when you got the website back and it was your fully functioning first version, you already had people that were ready to use and list on the site. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. And of course, we had checkpoints in between, right? Every month or every few weeks, we wanted to sit down and see what have you what have you built? Are we on timeline? Heavy project management is really important as you're working with an outside firm, really on anything, um, but especially on development work. So, how long did that first version take to get back to you? Uh, about four months. About four months, and that was all just head down trying to get people to teachers and everything on the site. Yes. Yeah. So we were trying to, I mean, there were other things like, you know, a few times while they were building it, they hit a wall of stuff we hadn't thought of. So we had to fix it every time they pushed something out, we had to test it. So we were doing all the QA. Um, and then, yeah, the rest of the time was really built around, 
you know, get it, get Exposed on board. So as you were kind of knocking off features and kind of getting that price down for the first version of the website, were you taking those features that you were kind of lobbing off and adding them to like, okay, well, this is going to be in the second iteration or this is going to be the third iteration? Were you already planning that out as you were going? Kind of, yeah. You know, really quickly, as you get better at this, you start to realize what you don't need to build up front. So, for, for example, we had all these tools around uh, what happens if the student wants to switch or the school cancels the class. And, you know, yeah, that's like nice to, nice to have stuff. It's just that you don't have any students yet or, <laughs> or schools. <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, you know, you build for you should build for like your really core use cases, the ones you know you're going to need to launch with. And then things like, oh, we need to be able to discount or whatever, right? All of these additional features, you can figure out like, okay, I can push those and, and don't really need to launch with that stuff. Mm-hmm. So what was your communication like with your developer? You said you had somebody who was kind of out here and then his development team was overseas. But did you usually communicate over email or Skype or when you did the, the check-ins with him? What, how did you guys communicate? We met every two weeks in person. Uh, and then if there were questions or anything that came up, we would set up calls or, or emails uh, other than that, you know, to go through things. Uh, and then we also had access to the project management system they were using at the time. So I think they were using fog bugs uh, way back then. Um, and so we were able to see, okay, item by item, how far along is everything, which was very helpful. Yeah, because that can definitely help you see, make sure they're keeping on track and see what's going on with the site. Yeah. Were there any... Yeah, I mean, the, re- the reality is... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so you know, so the reality is like you. A lot of this stuff makes you feel better about it, um, but you know, you either get lucky and you work with a really good team, or you don't. And you know, some of this stuff will help you identify that binary. You know, like oh god, this is looking very good. I need to end the relationship really quickly. Um, but aside from that, you know, it really you kind of <laughs> you kind of get lucky. You, ideally, you get a really good referral to a really good team. That's the best thing you can do, and make sure that. The person referring you has actually worked with the team before and asked them what the relationship was like and what went wrong. You know, it's like hiring an employee, right? Um, you want to get as many as much background as you can. Yeah, and it literally is hiring an employee because they're the ones that are building it for you. So, yeah, that's really good advice. Did you have any issues kind of during the development or just uh, a lack of experience maybe doing it that you would do differently now or anything like that? You know, I think in the first year or so, we spent a lot of time building stuff that we shouldn't have built at the time, you know? So we've learned a lot just about how to prioritize your product pipeline um, and to be really, really focused about what metrics you're trying to improve with every feature. I think when you launched initially, right, everybody who thinks about entrepreneurship is like, I'm going to get to build this and that and, you know, do whatever I want. But the reality is, like, it needs to be really focused and goal you know, goal focused. Like if, you know, we now spend, you know, every month or two months we spend in a sprint focused on one metric and everything we're doing in the company is focused on that metric and improving it. Um, and that's how we know for sure that, you know, we're moving forward as an organization. Otherwise, after three or six months, you look back and, you, and you're like, what have we been doing? You know, what, what, why did we build all this stuff? We, we don't seem to be any further along our, you know, towards our goal. And it's because we've been all over the place. Um, so I think the first, you know, six months or so was really about figuring out how to focus. Um, and luckily, we did that, you know, before we had raised any capital. So, <laughs> you know, it was just our own time we were wasting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, as far as 
the the website that was built and the content management system, the CMS, and the language and stuff, what sort of in, input did you have in deciding kind of how the website would be built and function? Like, did you design the entire back end as part of your specs and get it custom made? Or did you use an already existing uh, CMS? Like, how did you guys go about that? We originally uh, specified everything. Uh, based on our own research, we said we think it should be built in this language. And here is literally we had a spec for every single page and function on the site. Um, our development, you know, developer to a team came back to us and said, hey, you can save a lot of cost if you don't try to custom build the back end. And if you, you know, they had a, a content management system that they had built in-house, but that served them for all of their sort of other projects. And they said, look, it'd be really a lot easier to just use this system and, you know, conform it to all of your data needs and whatnot. But, you know, and of course, we'll build the front end exactly as you want to build it. But let's save a lot of time and money and not try to custom build this back end from scratch. And to us, that made a lot of sense. And we said, hey, if we really need to upgrade the back end system later, we can do that. But again, we don't need that for launch. So let's let, let's let them save 80%, you know, and, uh, and let them you know, use the back end they already have. Yeah, and especially doing a custom CMS, you can run into a lot of issues and a lot less support, too. Uh, there's a lot less support, yeah. so that can lead to problems. So in the beginning, I know that like you launch a site and then you realize that this needs a change. You're adding this feature and there's a bunch of kind of iterations that happen fast. These days, you, you've been out for a while. Uh, how often do you say you push changes to the website? Like, is there a schedule or how is it working these days? Uh, we do every uh, week or every two weeks, depending on the nature of our ambition uh, for a given release. Okay. Um, so I want to kind of go back. So I know that you participated in an NYU contest, and you guys uh, won that. So tell me a little bit about that program and uh, what it was all about. Sure. So the NYU Venture Competition starts September every year. It's open to uh, all students, faculty, and alumni of NYU. Uh, so it's a pretty pretty broad audience, <laughs> given how many people have graduated. Um, and you know, it kicks off in September. The competition goes until May. And, you know, typically, I think when we launched, when we were there, there were about 250 teams participating. Uh, there are three tracks. Uh, so one is the sort of new venture competition, which is what we were in, which is sort of the largest. Uh, it's for anybody with a new idea. Um, the second one is the social venture. So the notion is that it needs to somehow have a significant portion that benefits society, even while also potentially being a for-profit company. So it doesn't have to be a nonprofit, but it, you know, it should place social good um, you know, almost equal with, with profit. Um, and then the third is the technology venture, which is sort of for heavy technology, patentable uh, patentable items that you want to start a business around, um, largely for the R&D departments coming out of NYU. Um, you know, the competition kicks off in April. You know, there's several rounds. starts with a two-page summary. Then you get into a five-page feasibility analysis. And then eventually you write, like, a 25-, 30-page business plan. I think last year they had a video. And ultimately, in uh, the spring, after they pared down, you know, the, the number of teams uh, pretty pretty heavily, uh, I think 15 teams pitch in uh, the semifinals. And then uh, three to five teams end up pitching in the finals. Um and, you know, it's a it's a competition really of execution more than it is, I think, of the plan because it's so long, right? It goes from April till May. 
And if in that time you haven't sort of built the whole business, uh, then, you know, it's hard for them to believe that your heart's really in it or that you really know how to execute. Um, so it's as much a, a, a competition around uh, building the business as it is around planning it. Um, of course, the, and the, the competition itself provides a tremendous amount of mentorship and support in every aspect of the business you can imagine. There are workshops, there are one-on-ones, they have a huge mentor network of people that come in and are actively providing feedback and, uh, and support to the teams. Um, so we benefited tremendously from that. Um, and yeah, I mean, they question your every move, right? They say, well, what, do you think this business model is going to work? How do you know? How are you going to prove it? Where are the customers, right? And so they push you to do the, the traditional sort of customer development process, make sure you have a business model, um, you know, make sure you're not overpaying for things that you shouldn't be paying for up front. All of the sort of uh, general support that any first-time entrepreneur could really use. Um, and, and, you know, it was a tremendous experience for us. Of course, we were fortunate enough to win, um, and that gave us $75,000. Uh, that allowed us to quit our part-time jobs and be full-time on CourseSource, which was a, a huge blessing. Um, and, uh, you know, it was it was just a, a really unbelievable experience. And, and it continues to grow, you know, every year. I think the teams that are that are uh, competing this year would, would have, uh, you, you know, would probably beat us <laughs> from, uh, from where we were then. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's fun to be a part of. Yeah, were you looking for contests or programs like that at the time, or how did you get involved in the the NYU? Well, I was always interested in entrepreneurship, so I knew that the competition existed. I didn't know a tremendous amount about it, but we had been, we quit our jobs in the summer right before, and so I said, "Hey, we should check this thing out," and we realized like this is a big opportunity for us. Like we should really do this, and so you know it, the timing really worked out nicely. Uh, so that just when we were quitting and starting the company, we were entering the competition at the same time. Were you looking at any other things like incubators or startup accelerators or programs or anything else like that? Or was it just kind of this one was on your radar, so you went with that one? It was just on our radar. You know, we didn't know the tech world very well back then. Uh, we didn't really know anything. We didn't even know there was a tech scene in New York. We just sort of had this idea and wanted to start this company and had no idea how much support we would get along the way. Uh, so we didn't know about, you know, Y Combinator, Techstars, any of this stuff. And then by the time we left the competition, you know, we almost felt like it was too late <laughs> in a sense. Uh, we felt like, hey, we're really far along. We have this money. We've had all this support. Let's kind of do our own thing now, which is why we never, never uh, applied to any accelerators. Yeah, if you can build it and grow it on your own, there's no reason to really go to any of those other programs because i mean if you have the mentorship along with the nyu stuff which it sounds like you did that that's the biggest value add for a lot of those other ones yeah absolutely so did, do you feel like that really accelerated the growth of course horse like did you feel a difference between uh when you quit your jobs and working up until when you kind of won that contest was it a, a hockey stick graph as they say or how did it feel I felt. I mean, it felt great. Uh, we put in a huge amount of work, so winning it was uh, was you know a big sort of sigh of relief uh, for us. Uh, you know, I think you always expect that when you launch or when you you know each one of these milestones, you're going to suddenly see some inflection point. But it's never really like that. Uh, it turns out that you know you wake up the next day and you still have to go build the business. Um, so you know we you know we we got a lot smarter over the or over the course of it. And as we look back. Even now, we're like, God, we still had no idea what we were doing at that point. Um, but, you know, again, you wake up the next day, you say, now we have this money, and now how are we going to grow this thing? You know, we sold, we, you know, we pitched a, a really nice story, uh, but now we have to go execute, and, and that's kind of what you're left with. Even after every round of fundraising, 
after you know you you achieve any milestones like break even cash flow, you still you know it never ends. You keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is important to celebrate your wins um, because I think entrepreneurs don't do that enough. Uh, and you know there are a lot of wins, but there are also a lot of losses. So it, it's important to say, hey, we're you know we're investing our lives into something really great here, and we just had a big success. So let's go out and celebrate. Uh, so we've been trying to do more of that recently. Yeah, and and. I, what you were saying about, okay, you wake up the next day and you just got to do the work and continue building the business is, is so important. And I, I know that I watch uh, every week uh, Shark Tank and watch them pitching the, yeah. the venture capitalists. And it's so easy, especially when they do like, let's take a look back at this company. And you see this other company and you're like, after the Shark Tank, they're doing $5 million a week now. And it's so easy to forget that it's not just going on the show and all of a sudden you have a big business. I mean, you're waking up the next day after that and you're like, okay, how can I effectively use this mentor and this investment capital? And you, you really, it takes all the work still. Yeah. It's not yeah, just a magical formula. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never, there's never a silver bullet thing that's going to get you your growth. You know, it's a bunch of, it's a whole lot of things done really well that end up adding to a much larger thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people often, you know, I think people, again, right, because of the way that the tech media portrays entrepreneurship, the general public has this notion that, you know, we work for a year and then boom, you become huge, you know. Whereas the reality is you work really hard for several years. And then of those companies that do that, a few of them have a little bit of success. You know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. So how long ago did you win that contest? How long ago was that? I didn't get the year. Uh, that was the summer of 2011. Okay, so it's been is 2014 now. So it's been a, a few years. What kind of uh, yeah. takes up majority of your time now? Because the company has been around for a, a few years now, which is a lot different than obviously like the first and second year of a company. Uh, well, we, uh, you know, we're up to a team of seven now. Uh, we broke even uh, last month. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, super exciting for us. You know, it's such a different place to be not worried about money as much as, as we were in the early days. Um, and now, you know, it's really, we know what we're doing now. You know, we're very confident about how this thing needs to grow. And so for us, it's just about executing. So all day long, you know, it's just, we have an agenda. We move like a real sort of company um, where everybody has goals and we have sales, we have marketing, we have operations, we have tech. And, you know, we move in a sort of concerted fashion. Um, and, you know, a lot of it is just about, maintaining the quality of execution as we continue to grow uh, about setting goals that we think are ambitious but realistic uh, and about motivating the team uh, you know finding, finding you know, recruiting is always uh, super important for us as you know better people you have the more successful the company is going to be um, so you know it's, it's really day-to-day now you know there's a ton to do at, at all times but we're we are you know a real company and it's 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 on a, this growth trajectory that we're hoping to, to maintain mm-hmm so I know that when you first launched, it was just in New York, because that's majority where you're located. Now you're also in Los Angeles, I'm looking now. What is it like to grow and like go to a new city like that? Sure, you know, it's a lot uh, like starting the first time, except you're just so much better and smarter in every way. Um, so, you know, you have a huge leg up, but... Just like the first, you know, the first city that you launched, there's going to be new challenges and new questions and new problems to be solved. Um, and I think, 
you know, a lot of companies that are local go too big, too fast, just because they figured it out in one market. And the risk is that you're going to go to these other markets and like things are going to be a little bit different or seriously different. Um, so we took it very much as like, a, we know we're basically starting a new business here with a lot of acumen and support from our existing business. Um, and I think, I mean, even now, as we think about the next city, uh, the same thing is true. You know, we still are going to have a lot to learn as we go. Um, but at least now you have like a playbook. You're like, hey, I know what worked the first time. So let's do more of that and let's not have to do the stuff that didn't work. Um, so it's been, uh, you know, LA is growing about three times as fast as New York did in the beginning. Um, so that's a good sign of, yeah. of us knowing a little bit more about what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> and we're excited to launch the next city. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, I would think like the New York and the LA market are just so different because I don't know, just in terms of going out, just hopping on the subway, doing that kind of stuff here in New York. And just the simple fact of having subways versus cars, I think, would change the dynamic so much. But at the yeah, same time, everybody I mean, wants to learn. Yeah. So, you know, you, you look at these local businesses and you realize, like, I think a lot of people spend too much sort of uh, time thinking about, well, what's the perfect next city to go to next and what, what demographics and what per capita density, things like that. Uh, the reality is that you either believe that it works in every major city or you don't. Mm-hmm. And to the point that you kind of are like, yes, this is a legitimate idea that can work in the top 50 cities. Uh, it's really about going and just executing, you know, so spend a little time on analysis and a lot of time on just going and making it work. Um, and as I said, there will be challenges that will be different, but if you did it the first time for the first city, then you can do it again. Uh, and the challenges are what create barriers. You know, in our business, the barriers are not necessarily the technology, but they are our ability to solve problems faster and to execute better and make people happier than any other company in the space. Uh, and when that's your culture, when your culture is one around, we solve problems better, then it makes kind of going to the new cities a little bit more fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So to kind of wrap things up, I got a, a more of a broad question for you. I'm going to kind of ask, what is your favorite thing about running this company? Like, what do you enjoy? What's the most rewarding part of this whole experience for you? Uh, sure. You know, I've been passionate about education for a long time. I think I'm probably going to spend the rest of my life doing things that are, you know, focused on the education space. Uh, you know, and it's largely driven by my own drive for self-improvement and self-development. You know, I see the, how passionate I am about kind of making myself better and I really identify with other people who feel that way, and I want to support them in their efforts. Um, and, you know, as you think about what a startup is, it's really an extraordinary vehicle for self-development. You know, so I you know, I was in a consulting job, and I was learning things here and there. And, you know, that was great, but I never really dealt with adversity. I never really had to make all the hard decisions. The onus was never on me. Um, I never had to solve like extraordinarily difficult problems and in such high volume that I've had to now, I wasn't emotionally challenged, uh, you know, when things were difficult, you know, and it, it, you know, the, the experience of getting a full-time job and being on a track that, you know, you can be successful at is, is, is sort of, uh, it pales in comparison to leaping and starting a business and trying to, you know, go through all the hell that it takes to make it work. Um, and so my favorite part has just been like, I am a, very different human being on the other side of this experience. I'm not even on the other side yet, um, but every three to four months, the company is in such an entirely different phase. And, you know, my learning curve is the fastest growing <laughs> metric at the startup, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so 
you know, I, I talk to, you know, I, I like to think about the ways that I'm self-developing in a, in a few different ways. One, of course, um, building skills that I never had before because I have to have those skills. Two, I'm learning a lot more about what I really like spending my time on because I get to do every single job in the company. And three, it's like this self-awareness, uh, mental maturity, and uh, personal growth that's uh, really hard to, you know, describe, I suppose, um, but that's the really, those are the best parts about, about the company. Awesome. So thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. No problem, Dan. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. If uh, my listeners want to find you, where can they do that? Uh, of course, check out coursehorse.com uh, and uh, sign up for some classes. Um, I'm available just uh, Nihal, N-I-H-A-L, at coursehorse.com. So give me a shout uh, if I can be helpful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. No problem, Dan. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I just feel so inspired now. That that conversation and that interview left me just feeling inspired. And if you feel that way too, please leave us a review, a comment. It really helps. And until next week, have a good one. Bye.